with the string of commands that will follow, by or under whose authority do I live my life? That's the key question, isn't it? I mean, before you start for yourself and for fellow Christians around you deciding how you will follow these marching orders, you've got to understand from whom you've received them. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part one of Pastor Lance Quinn's three-part series, Receiving Our Spiritual Marching Orders. Pastor Lance's text for this series is the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. With a series title like Receiving Our Spiritual Marching Orders, you might be thinking, this sounds very militaristic. Isn't Christianity supposed to be about love? Well, walking with Christ is about both. In order to love as Christ loved, we will constantly wage war against our sinful flesh until he brings us into glory. Fighting this war is about pleasing God, and Paul addresses his beloved new Thessalonian believers with this qualifier, quote, As you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, end quote. Before we can please Jesus, our Commander-in-Chief, we must know and obey what He expects from us. It's called sanctification. Here's part one of Receiving Our Spiritual Marching Orders. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, one of our New Testament letters of the Apostle Paul. And as we are now venturing into our exposition of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 today, we're entering into a section where Paul begins a series of exhortations to holy living. That is to say, this is the turn in Paul's letter from all that he has prepared them to hear and receive, and now the practicalities, the exhortations, the commands, the summons, to obedience begins in 1 Thessalonians. If you were with us last Lord's Day, you know that we spoke about the progressive and definitive sanctification of the believer, that is, the ongoing process of the believer's holiness and the believer's glorification. And that was shown to us very clearly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Listen to verse 10 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 through verse 13. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that, and here's the important part coming right before this section in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, where the practicalities of obedience are listed, the commands of obedience, verse 13, so that, or for the purpose that, He, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints." So this whole section from the end of chapter 3 
And now with the finally then brothers of chapter 4, verse 1, we're talking about holiness. Holiness. We're talking about progressive and ultimately definitive sanctification. Sanctification, if you're not familiar with the term, is just a, a big word that means our holiness. And before we get into this exhortative section, which very honestly starts in verse 3, before we get there, I want to not just introduce this exhortative section, but I also want to show you why and specifically to whom we receive what is the title of our message this morning, Receiving Our Spiritual Marching Orders. Receiving Our Spiritual Marching Orders. Yes, these marching orders are going to come. And they're going to come beginning in verse 3. And it's interesting that as they come, they're going to be serious and sober and so very important for all believers of all the ages throughout the history of the Christian church. And we ought to listen to them and to know them and to love and follow Him, as the song said. But not just because it's your own opinion or mine. Not just because somebody back 20 centuries earlier said so. And the reason why I put it that way is because there is a gap between the authoritative person who commands such things and the commands themselves. We don't see the Apostle Paul around. We've never seen the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet here are these commands. In fact, look in your Bibles at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'll just show you the first command that we'll get to next time, verses 3 to 8. And this is a very serious and sober command. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now we know that Paul's continuing to talk about sanctification because he uses that very word, right? I just read it to you in chapter 3, verses 10 to 13, when he says, blameless in holiness. That's another way of talking about sanctification. So it's all tied together. That's for sure what's going on in this text. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother, that is, brother or sister, in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Now this is quite stunning. For someone like Paul to arrange his letter and to begin with the so-called practical section of 1 Thessalonians, beginning here in chapter 4, with abstaining from sexual immorality. Why does he begin there? Why does he talk about love, beginning in verse 9 and Why does he talk about eschatology or in things or the final age or the end of all things or Christ's coming uh, beginning in 
verse 13 of chapter 4 and throughout the first part of chapter 5 and then why does he talk in verse 12 of chapter 5 about how we're to respond to, to leaders uh, over us and to esteem them and, and then to rejoice always and to pray without ceasing and to give thanks to the Lord in all circumstances and, and on and on it goes. All of these uh, hortatory statements, all of these commands, all of these uh, incentives to obedience. Now, why does he give all of them? And certainly, why does he give the first one regarding sexual immorality as he does? Well, I submit to you that he does these things because of what he says in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. The sanctifying of the believer through commands like these, including this first one about sexual purity, has to be something that you and I would say is lasting truth and authoritative truth. That's binding, binding on all Christians from the first century to the 21st century and perhaps beyond. Why does he talk about sexual purity right out of the gate? Because he wants you to know how Christians ought to deal with and control their bodies, to know why and and how the human body is best to operate as it does and as it must for maximum design and maximum obedience. And if we're to do that in the mix of a world that tells you everything but the Christian ethic, the Christian morality, then you've got to know not just what the commands are, you've got to know who's giving them. Because in a world like today, it's a free-for-all in terms of who's giving what commands or what exhortations or what advice or what mandate or what options or what philosophy or what ethic. It's a free-for-all. And I tell you, because of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we need to hear from the commander-in-chief himself. Not your opinion, not my opinion, not anybody else's opinion for why we should do, we must do what Paul commands us in these two chapters. I would venture to say, I would dare to say that the first two verses of 1 Thessalonians 4 means everything to the rest that follows. It means everything to the rest of these two chapters. Why? Because if you don't trust in your commander-in-chief, if you don't trust the one who's giving you your marching orders, then of course it's a free-for-all. Of course everybody can choose whatever ethic or lifestyle or decision, including sex, including love, including the afterlife, including the idea that in the afterlife, if you say Jesus is coming, I say, I don't believe that and I don't care. Why? Because I'm not receiving my marching orders from God, whoever you think God is, or Christ, whoever you think Christ is. In other words, the very reason why we ought to see these commands, not just for what they are, but from whom they come, means everything. It means everything. I mean, no wonder Paul says what he says in verses 1 and 2. He's, in a sense, setting us up to understand why we should follow these commands and and to whom we're accountable in following these commands. Because you can ask the question today, whom to follow? Who, Who should I 
receive my marching orders? Is my authority rooted in the culture around me? Is my authority rooted in myself and in my own thoughts, my own ideas of what's right and wrong? Is my authority invested in my intuition or maybe someone else's or philosophy, education, politics, government, power, wealth? In other words, with the string of commands that will follow, by or under whose authority do I live my life? That's the key question, isn't it? I mean, before you start for yourself and for fellow Christians around you deciding how you will follow these marching orders, you've got to understand from whom you've received them. Now, of course, it may be easy for you and for me here in an evangelical local church to say, well, it's God, of course. It's God, of course. It's the Bible, of course. It's Christ, of course. Well, that may be very plain and obvious to you, but uh, go down the street and go into another church and you'll find probably something quite different. Uh, Go on news media, social media, and you'll probably find uh, a few voices out there for whom the authority is not God, the authority is not Christ, the authority is not the Bible, and therefore it is indeed a free-for-all in terms of who do you follow and what do you do, and please don't shove that Bible thing down my throat. That's, that's really what we're talking about here. When we get into this section of verses 1 and 2 and whose authority do I follow and then what those actual commands are in the rest of this New Testament letter. This is why this is so important. So if it's so important, let's read it. Verses 1 and 2 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Here it is. Here's the commander-in-chief. Here's the the marching orders that, that I'm to receive. Finally then, brothers, and of course that means brothers and sisters, we ask, we exhort, you could say, and urge or entreat you in the Lord Jesus that as you've received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Some of your translations may say, and excel still more. For you know, Paul says, what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And then, of course, he follows that with that first significant phrase, the beginning of verse 3, which we'll talk about next time, for this is the will of God. For this is the will of God. Now, as I've said, of course, the the unbelieving world around us does not conform their lives to the standard of God's voice as given to us here in God's Word. Of course they don't. But for us as professing Christians, we are here given our marching orders for sanctification, for holiness, so that we might be blameless as we watch Jesus Christ return, and so that we might be encouraging each other as we minister alongside one another. This is how important this is. And that's why I just couldn't get past verses 1 and 2. I'm so sorry. I just couldn't get past it. I've got to know who my authority is. If I'm going to stake my life on certain commands, prohibitions, injunctions, principles in which to live my life, I've got to know who's giving them to me. 
I've got to know who is commanding me to obedience. Even as a Christian, I've got to know. And I've got to have the solid, cemented groundwork or basis behind which my obedience follows and my love to love and follow Him. So with that in mind, I want you to look at three very clear inferences, very clear inferences. I'd like to even call them declarations by Paul about our true source of divine authority. In other words, if you and I want to know not how to follow these commands in chapters 4 and 5, but to whom we are obliged to follow such commands, they're given to us here in verses 1 and 2. And I'll give you the first one. Number one, our first clear declaration or a very obvious inference about what Paul is saying is our true source of authority is given to us in what I'm calling the regal authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The regal authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the first phrase of verse 1 of chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. Oh, is that power packed. It's clearly inferred here. And I want you to notice that Paul makes an urgent appeal for the Thessalonians to do what they are both designed by God and are capable of doing when he gives those two words there. Do you see them? Ask and urge. Ask and urge. Now, ask sounds a little benign, doesn't it? I ask you to do something. That's why I think it's it's probably better translated because of the intensifying, not only of the context, but the reality that Paul is talking from the regal authority of Jesus Christ, I urge you, I urge you. And you say, well, that's the second word there, urge. Yeah, well, that's that word for entreat. I entreat you and I urge you, I I ask you to do something. And there we go, we're off to the races who says? I mean, can't you see your, your friends, your neighbors, the media, others, your college professor, your friends, and they say, who says? Who says I have to, to do this? Oh, that's just his opinion. Well, I don't believe that. That's, that's not binding on me. Look, I'm one of those who's a take-it-or-leave-it proposition kind of guy. I choose to do it, I choose to do it. If I don't choose to do it, I don't do it. It's all up to me. It's not up to anybody around me or over me. I say Paul says something quite differently. Notice what he says. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. Perhaps even because of the particular word that's used there, in, with, or by. I ask you in the Lord Jesus or by the Lord Jesus by the authoritative word of the Lord Jesus or with the full authority of the Lord Jesus or perhaps even through. Through could be used there prepositionally. I ask and urge you through the Lord Jesus. You know what Paul's doing here? He's not just, you know, this first phrase you read this and and you're like me if you're if you're a Bible reader and you're reading your Bible either through the year or, or perhaps you're reading 1 Thessalonians because we're studying through it and, and you're reading so fast, you read it like this. Finally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus 
And then we just move right on to the hortatory section, the, the command section, the principle section, right? Uh, sexual purity. Don't do that. Don't do that. Stop, pause, think, ponder, consider. We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, by the Lord Jesus, with the full authority of the Lord Jesus. This is incredibly important because this is the person from whom I receive my marching orders. That's how important this is. This is an incredibly important indication of whose marching orders they are. This is why when you're reading in your Bibles, this is sort of an aside here, when you're reading in your Bibles, when you read these little phrases, in Christ or in the Lord or by the Lord's plan or purpose or will, don't brush that aside as though it's ho-hum. I read this all the time. It seems like the New Testament is filled with in Christ or do this for the Lord or by the Lord or in the Lord or through the Lord. You know, you might say it like this. The number of times something is mentioned like this probably means the opposite of what we might assume. Yeah, yeah, got that. Move on. Go to the meaty portions. Uh, go to uh, what I'm supposed to do or not do. Instead, I say, because of the oft-repeated nature of these things, that's probably actually emphasizing its level of importance. So every time you read something like that, I ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, stop and say, whose authority am I under? The Lord Jesus. Look over at chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians. You want to see this authority perspective? I'll show you. This is the regal authority of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, right off the bat, right in the first verse of the first chapter, we're being told this is the church who are in God, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I tell you, there is so much theology in the prepositions. So much good can come out of these prepositions. So much authority is invested by way of these prepositions in God, in God the Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Verse 8 For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. Think of that. The word of the Lord sounding forth. Not your word, not my word. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, Jesus, the end of verse 10, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. He's authoritative. He's in charge. That's why I say the regal authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, because He is King. King, I tell you. Lord of lords, King of kings. Paul doesn't use throwaway phrases. Don't don't skip the first part of a verse to get to the next part of the verse. This is telling us that Jesus Christ is alive and in charge. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. If you're a true follower of Christ, you don't learn to follow by rote. Because of our sinful human nature from which Christ's death and resurrection rescues us, we must know and follow His commands. For most, 
This takes lots of practice and self-control. In Paul's New Testament letter to Titus, he describes the process this way, quote, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, end quote. Sanctification brings holiness, and holiness can be learned by God's grace. Are you in? Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Lance Quinn, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. We encourage you to visit our website, timelesstruthtoday.org, timelesstruthtoday.org. On the homepage, select Broadcasts. There you'll find a treasury of teachings from Pastor Lance on sanctification, holiness, and many other topics. While there, would you consider financially supporting this radio ministry to help reach thousands of hungry hearts with the good news of Jesus Christ? Go to the homepage, timelesstruthtoday.org, and select Donate. Listen tomorrow, it's part two in our new series, Loving Others in the Light of God's Love. I'm Matt Williams for Timeless Truth Today. Thank you for listening.